GB Podcast with Hannah Cockcroft. Hello, I'm Hannah Cockcroft and this is the official Paralympics GB Podcast. A show that gets under the skin of my fellow Paralympics GB athletes and discovers exactly what it's like to represent Great Britain on the world stage. Today, we are incredibly honoured to have a true trailblazer join us. As a Paralympic badminton player who etched her names in the record books as the first English player ever to win three gold medals at a single world championships, she is now focused on becoming the first British woman to represent Paralympics GB in para badminton at the Paris 2024 Paralympic Games. But her journey hasn't just been about the medals. Her impact stretches way beyond the court, shaping positive change in new and impactful ways. So, without further ado, let's welcome our guest, Rachel Chunk. Hello, welcome to the Paralympics GB podcast. Nice to have you. Thank you very much. I'm uh, very pleased to be here. Well, I'm going to just start straight off because there's a lot to talk about, to be honest. You're just back from the first ever European Para Championships, where you had success in the mixed doubles and the women's singles. How did you find it out there? Yeah, it was really good. Um, it was my first multi-sport event, so it was just it was quite interesting seeing all the different sports there and different athletes from different countries that I've never come across before, and we we don't ever get to see that normally. So that was really cool. And then the badminton tournament was really good. Um, felt quite long because it was from Tuesday to Sunday, and we got there a week ago on Saturday, so we were there for like nine days. So yeah, it felt quite long, but no, it was really good and played quite well. We've had such a busy run of tournaments lately, so we're we're all pretty exhausted and that goes for all the athletes at the tournament. But yeah, really happy to have won the, the gold in mixed doubles with Jack Shepard and that's our first European title oh, together because we've, um, we're only a recently established partnership. So that's really cool. Yeah, silver and silver in the women's singles, which I'm... Yeah, I'm pretty. I'm pretty happy with, but I'm like a bit, bit disappointing that I couldn't get the gold. But still, decent week. Oh, girl after my own heart, just never happy, never satisfied, <laughs> always wanting more. <laughs> exactly. Before we talk about all your success, though, let's start by going back to the start. What initially sparked your interest in badminton, and how did it develop over the years? At the time, both of my parents played socially, and even now, my dad still does. But then in 2000, my older sister, she'd recently started a a local badminton club where she was getting coaching. So all the family and the coaches just encouraged me to go along with her. And one Saturday morning I did and I I just fell in love with it straight away. And I really haven't been able to put a racket down since. At what point did you realise that, you know, you wanted to do this internationally? You wanted to take this a bit further than just playing against your sister? (laughs) Well, at, at the start, it was just able-bodied badminton that I played. I wasn't even aware of para badminton. I didn't even think it was a thing. And I remember at a point in my junior career then, before I was introduced to para, and I thought I would I would love to be a badminton player, but I never thought that it was possible just because I wouldn't be able to compete with able-bodied people. And then it wasn't until 2007 when I was introduced to para badminton and there was a tournament called the Four Nations. And August 2007 was the first year that they'd introduced the short stature event. So I, I managed to find out about that and I went along to that. As, and that was my first tournament. And yeah, it just completely opened my eyes to a whole new world. And then I realized, yeah, if I can do this for a job, that would be the dream. 
And I mean, from there, you've just gone from strength to strength, success to success. I'm going to attempt to read out some of your very, very long list of achievements. And it's going to take me a while. Double gold in the 2013 BWF Para Badminton World Championships. Triple gold in 2015. And you were the first English player, able-bodied or para, to complete such a feat. You repeated that in 2017, and then two more golds in 2019, 10 world championship titles. I mean, you've nearly caught me up. I'm I'm feeling threatened. Obviously, it's so, so much in between. Do you ever, like, how do you feel when you hear your achievements read out? Because I always find it a bit weird. People read mine and I just sit there and think, oh yeah, I did that. I forgot about that one. That was a good one, that. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it it is a bit unusual. I don't really see myself as like some t- like I do see myself as a top athlete, but I don't really see myself as like this outrageously top athlete. If that makes sense, I feel like I'm just for the most part a normal person. So it it does feel quite unusual when someone reads out everything that I've done, and I I, I almost cringe a little bit. It's just <laughs> sorry, jeez, like, yeah, I did I did do all that. No, no, it's cool. <laughs> But it is an unusual feeling. But then I, I remember that, yeah, I did do all that. And I'm still at a point in my career where I'm still looking to add to that as well. So that's quite exciting. I love that. Take us back to 2015. So I said the first English player, able-bodied or para to win three world titles in a single championship. It's like, that's massive. That's history. That's that's incredible. Well done. But were you aware of it at the time? I wasn't. It was only until the tournament ended and... Um, someone from media told me that and I just kind of I was a bit flawed <laughs> by it if I'm honest but yeah for me that tournament was hugely special because it was the first world championships since Parabadminton got Paralympic status for Tokyo so the standard and the professionalism of the sport at that tournament just skyrocketed it was hosted by England so it was a home tournament for us it was in Stoke Mandeville, the birthplace of the Paralympics. And it was just so hugely special. And then all of my family and friends were all there to help support me as well. It was it was really, really special for me. So yeah, I hope to never forget that tournament. Do you think that, that the meaning that that championships had, with it being the first one since Paraban Mountain was announced in the Paralympics and, and all these other things, I mean, your family and friends there, do you think that added something to it that, I don't know, made you compete a bit harder or how did you get out there and win three golds? I, if, if anything, I feel like it probably made me a little bit more nervous. <laughs> Just having all that magic around it, really. But yeah, I'm really glad that I was able to rise to the occasion and, and perform how I did do. And just, I never expected to, of course, of course I wanted three golds, but you know, there's always a little bit of doubt in your mind. But yeah, to, to achieve it was really something special. But obviously it doesn't it doesn't just happen, you know. I always find people kind of, they list everything that you've done, but they never highlight the hard work that takes place in between, you know, the, the highs and the lows, everything that happens. Can you share with us a bit about your training routine and, and any, I'm going to use the word sacrifices. I hate the word sacrifices because I just think it's, when you're an elite athlete, it's a choice and you decide to go and do it, but yeah. you do miss out on a lot of things. Any sacrifices you've had to make to reach your level of success? Since joining the world-class program in March last year, so I've been on it for just shy of 18 months now, 
training has been so different for me um, over COVID and just before I joined the World Class Program. I wasn't really training. I, I, if anything, I was close to hanging on my racket, really, uh, just because I didn't, I didn't see much point in me competing anymore. And then it wasn't until December of 2021 that it was announced that my events would be included in the Paris 2024 program. And then a few months later, I was invited to join GB Para Badminton. And yeah, training is definitely something else to what I was doing before as well, even when I was competing regularly. Yeah, now it's full-time training, you know, 20 plus hours a week on course, and then maybe like five hours in the gym over the course of the week as well. And then tournament schedules just been quite brutal (laughs) lately. Yeah, we've been all over the place in the past like six months, seven months. So yeah, it's it's pretty tough going. And when I do find it the toughest during the weeks, I just have to keep reminding myself what the goal is and what I hope to achieve. Hope to get to Paris, hope to have some success there. And that's just, that's basically just what drives me forward and keeps me going. Did you ever struggle kind of prior to badminton being added to the Paralympic Games? Was it ever a struggle? I, I guess for me, I've always had that big gold medal hanging at the end of every four years and knowing that that's the target but if your sport's not there did you ever sit back and think well I've I've won everything I can win you know Europeans worlds kind of what's next was that ever a struggle to keep you going before you were announced in the Paralympics yeah absolutely so it was announced in September 2017 that what events would be included for the Tokyo 2020 program and when I found out that my events weren't included it was pretty gutting Ironically, I was on my way to a tournament in Japan at the time. It was announced as well. So on on my layover in the Middle East, switched on my phone and I was just like, yep, there it is. Um, pretty disappointing news. But having had a chat with my coach when I got to Japan about it and, you know, we, we were chatting and he, he reminded me that there's still so much to achieve. Like we have world championships every two years and like that's, that alone is still a, a huge achievement if you, if you win something at the Worlds. So that was kind of my motivation for the next couple of years. But then, yeah, 2019, it was a bit of a struggle. I mean, the only tournament that I actually went to that year was the World Championships. You know, struggling with a couple of niggles as well at the time. I was I was ready to, to kind of pack it up, but I, I, didn't, I didn't do anything hastily or rash just kind of like stepped back from it a little bit and then COVID happened which in a way bought me some time just kind of like because I wasn't deemed as an elite athlete because I wasn't on the world-class program I wasn't able to train so I like a lot of other people across the country had to stay indoors got that one hour of exercise where you could go out every day which was pretty tough (laughs) going so yeah like COVID hit the badminton hard and then coming out of that, just got just got a job in retail, just living like a very normal life, which I was really happy with. And then it wasn't until the announcement came that my events were included in the program. And I was just like, yeah, I've been waiting for this for so long. I'm just going to give it everything, feet first, right in there. And yeah, I now have moved most of my life to Sheffield, where the home of GB Power Robinson is and yeah just doing my best to take everything in my stride and give it my everything because I've been waiting for it for 
forever. Oh, thank goodness she was still waiting and you hadn't just hung up your racket and gone, no, <laughs> not interested anymore, you're too late. It's probably a really good time then to speak about what brings us both to this podcast. So you're not actually a traditional member of Paralympics GB yet. This year event, as we've been talking about, has never been included in the Paralympic Games. But the men's was included in Tokyo. So how did it feel for you? You know, you say you looked at your phone and you went, oh, that's me not, not being part of it. It must have just felt so left out to see your teammates out on that court and living your dream. Yeah, it was it was pretty tough. And like looking at the events that were included, it's, it's a case of everyone else who competes in power badminton had the chance to go, whether it meant that they... They could maybe like switch from a singles event to a doubles event or vice versa, but it meant that they were still, they still had some sort of route to try and get themselves to the Paralympics. Whereas SH6 women, short stature women, just had nothing whatsoever. No mixed doubles, no women's doubles, no singles. And yeah, that was so disappointing and gut wrenching. And then, as I said, I was on, on my way to a tournament at the time and then actually getting to the tournament and seeing a buzz about everyone and getting all excited about going to the Paralympics and that's when the sport really started becoming professional it was really tough that week just everyone being so excited about it but I wasn't I wasn't jealous of them or anything I was really genuinely pleased for them and that they, they themselves would get the opportunity to compete at the Paralympics and I was so happy for them that they were getting the chance because at the end of the day, although I wanted to be there competing, I also really want the sport to be showcased in a way that I believe that it deserves. So yeah, I was I was really happy for them. And then when it came to Tokyo, yeah, just with it being Parabadminton's Paralympic debut, I was so keen to be a part of that history and I was desperate to get myself there and managed to wangle myself a role as a commentator. Oh, that's cool. How was that? Yeah, it was brilliant. Scarily, my first commentary gig. So, you know, again, jumping in at <laughs> the pretty big end. one to start with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, it was it was brilliant. I mean, like seeing all of my friends, as I said, I wasn't jealous at all. Seeing all my friends do so well, and I was rooting for them all from the commentary box. It was it was really exciting to see how the sport was showcased at the Paralympics unfortunately during COVID time so there were no fans but yeah it was it was still really special it's quite cool to be paid to talk about badminton <laughs> so yeah well that sounds like the dream job aside from obviously like, actually being there competing exactly am I right in saying you're the only female on the GB world class program for power badminton yes how's that how's that being that's I would find that so hard <laughs> yeah it, it can be um at the moment, our, our team isn't very big. I've got four other lads on the team with me as players, and they're really sound. We've also got male coaches as well, so it can be a lot at times, but we've also got a lot of female sports staff, and everyone's really good. They're all quite mindful. They're all very understanding. They're all very considerate. It, it can get a bit <laughs> tough sometimes. They're just like, I need some girls <laughs> with me. Um sometimes I'll just like go chat to one of the sports staff or the year or something just because I need like a girly chat every now and again but yeah they're they're all good do you think the event being included in Paris will hopefully encourage more girls to come into Parabadminton yeah absolutely having worked with a couple of organizations like um, Women's Sport Trust and um, I've done some work with Badminton Europe over 
for gender equity. It's something that I'm quite passionate about, getting women, girls into sport and staying in sport. So for me, if I can help inspire girls into para badminton, that would be really exciting. And we've already got a couple of girls on the pathway now that was recently established. So yeah, if I can if I can help them out in any way and, and support them, that would be, be incredible. What advice would you give to any, not just girls, any para-athletes listening to this that think, oh, you know, I want to want to go and play a bit of para badminton how can I get involved what advice would you give them definitely encourage them to find a find a local club badminton England and, and the other Germany shoot federations uh, badminton Scotland badminton Wales badminton Ireland they're all doing a lot to try and enable coaches to have the tools to coach para so if you can get in touch with them find a local club and just get stuck in it's it's incredible what this sport can do it, it's it works both physically and mentally. You can make so many friends and just the fact that you can compete with people who are like yourself on a, on a level playing field. I think that's just really exciting and I think that's what brings everyone together in sports. So yeah, I definitely encourage you to pick up a racket and just give it a go. Well, they might not make Paris if they're just picking up a racket, but hopefully, I think the plan is that you will. How did you feel when that announcement was made and you saw that your event was going to be included? I was working at the time. It was a I remember I was on a shift and it was a later shift. So my like I think I started around ten, eleven o'clock and I wasn't finishing until like eight PM. So when my coach tried to call me, I was just about to start my shift and I was just like, Oh, I'll call you back later. And at the time, sorry, I say my coach like he's the head coach of the G B setup, so he wasn't actually coaching me at the time. But he was he was trying to get in touch and I and I know him very well and everything and I was just like, Oh, sorry, I'm at work. I'll call you back on my lunch break. And with people traditionally having their lunch break around, you know, 12, 1 o'clock, try calling me back then and I was just like, oh, my lunch is actually at like 2 <laughs> o'clock, 3 o'clock because I'm on a late shift. So I kept on buttoning him, sending him to voicemail and um, it was really awkward. And then <laughs> finally on my lunch break, I was just like, oh, sorry, you've been trying to call me. What's up? And he's just like, um, mate, your, your events have been included in Paris. And I genuinely froze and for probably the very first and only time I was left speechless <laughs> uh, I couldn't I couldn't move I couldn't speak yeah he was just like I, I don't know whether to say congratulations or what and I was just like no no it's cool it's cool and he was just like um well we'll have a chat soon but how you feeling what what you think and I was just like let's let's do it needless to say I could not concentrate and work for the rest of the day <laughs> I was upstairs in the kitchen and when I had to go back after my lunch break I, I must have taken me about 10 minutes just to go down the stairs just because my head was all over the shop but out of pure excitement and readiness to go what will hopefully being selected for Paralympics GB mean to you it'll mean it'll mean everything as I said earlier this is what I've been hoping dreaming for for so long and the fact that I never thought it was possible even when I was a junior didn't think I could make a career out of being an athlete to find that I'd be selected and have the opportunity to go to the Paralympics and compete for Paralympics GB which yeah it, it would be so special and yeah hopefully hopefully something that I can do and, and make make myself and everyone proud oh I'm absolutely sure you will I mean, we're used to speaking to athletes that have been there a few times, like myself, on the Paralympics GB podcast. So as you're a fresh set of eyes, and it's it's so nice to hear those 
initial feelings of excitement. Like, yeah, I've been doing this for a while now, so I can't really remember when I <laughs> first got selected <laughs> for my first team. But what are you most looking forward to? Is it the village? Is it the crowd? Is it what, the vest? What is it that you're most looking forward to? I think it's the village. I think it's the village and seeing what the vibes are like in the village. Like the lads who are on the team now who have already been to the Paralympics, they've said that they had, you know, a good laugh at, in the village. And although, again, as it was during COVID times, it may be a little bit different to what's traditionally in the mm-hmm. village. But yeah, they've all said it was a really good time. And I think just being able to, to walk around the village, bump into everyone and everyone, go see different sports i think that'll be that's the most exciting thing for me oh you've picked the right bit because honestly the village is like it's it's insane it is the best part and like you say your teammates haven't haven't really experienced the traditional village yet there's a lot of fun to be had so yeah kind of wish i could walk into a village for the first time because i remember going in the food hall for the first time at london 2012 and Number one, being blown away by the fact that you can literally have a roast dinner at midnight if you want. Like, whatever food, whatever time, it's there and it's ready for you. But also, just just how many disabled people there are in the world, it blew my mind. <laughs> um, so yeah, be interested. I'll get you back on the podcast after Paris and we'll see, we'll see if it lived up to your expectations. I hope it does. Yeah. I love the village. It's a brilliant place to live. How have you remained motivated all these years not having that final I guess that final gold medal to go and grab how have you motivated yourself to just keep going before I joined the world-class program it was just winning I loved the feeling of winning there's no shame um, in that I agree that's <laughs> that's that's what kept me going and with it being self-funded at the time yeah it, it was pretty much one of the only things that kept me going for as long as it did don't get me wrong motivation started to waver through parts and trying to save up my annual leave to go to tournaments and train and save up my money it got tough at times and then particularly when my events weren't included in the Tokyo 2020 program it did take a hit still like I always wanted to be a part of the sport even when I was considering stopping playing I still wanted to be involved in some way just because I love it so much and I love the people who are involved in the sport as well and then yeah fortunately I'm able to join the world-class program and then even now motivation don't get me wrong is like purely on paris now it's like my sole purpose right now which is a bit, a bit sad but also like i'm i'm trying to look at it through the the perspective of it being something very very special and something that not everyone gets the chance to do and i have been on the other side of that so yeah that's that's my main driver right now and has that drive has it changed your mindset has it changed i don't know you said that it's changed the way you've trained but that was more down to joining the world class program and and everything else involved with that do you find that your mindset has changed when you're going into training when you go into different matches now you know that that final goal is within reach yeah absolutely like it's almost like a light at the end of the tunnel kind of feeling just knowing that it is there and it is within reach like training can be grueling as athletes who listen to this podcast will i'm sure be able to relate to it's something that i have to keep reminding myself that like that is the goal i've waited so long and i've worked so hard for it everything that we do now is just a stepping stone to try and get there and there's only a year left 
there's only a year left of all this hard work. I mean, that's terrifying for me, but I don't know. Are you terrified? Are you excited? <laughs> uh, both. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been an interesting one for me because, you know, the fact that I came onto the World Class Programme about 17, 18 months ago, it's been a short Paralympic cycle. So it's all come around very quickly. And the fact that there is only a year left is scary <laughs> we've had such a busy year with tournaments and we're now in qualification and um, our qualification runs from january early this year the start of this year to end of march next year yeah it's it's going to be a big push now for that and just trying to put ourselves in the best position for hopefully paris and wherever we lie but yeah it's quite scary how quickly that's gonna come across i mean already this 17 months that i've been on the world class program has gone in the blink of an eye so the fact that there's only 12 months left to the games yeah it's uh pretty scary but we'll see what happens it'll fly by honestly <laughs> yeah. you'll blink and you'll be in paris and your teammates obviously have had to experience that more recently getting ready for tokyo and going through that whole big build-up have they been giving you any advice or have you been asking for any advice or are you just looking forward to the journey and, and seeing how it goes? No, they've been brilliant for me. When I came onto the program, I was asking them about like tournament schedule, what it looks like. And, you know, they'll always tell me these really funny anecdotes from their qualification period or what they experienced at the games as well. So, yeah, they've been great at sharing any information on what the games would be like and even even as far as like maybe kitting out and getting our alterations done for our kit and things they've been really helpful which is which is good and I'm glad I am glad that they've had that experience before me just so they can hopefully help me and well they are helping me through this myself so yeah that's I'm very grateful to this yeah absolutely it's always good to have someone who's kind of been there and done that because it's such a I think people think that we get selected for a Paralympic Games like about now. So you've got a whole year to get your kit and get prepared. But actually, it's it all turns over in a month, sometimes less. It's yeah. your whole life just revolves around a couple of weeks, which is crazy. But when you get to Paris, you're going to inspire so many people. They're going to watch you on TV. They're going to they're going to believe that they can do it. Who have been your sources of inspiration of motivation of you know who have really been the people for you that you've looked up to and who have helped you get to where you are I, I always find this question pretty tough because with para badminton being quite a young sport there's never really been anyone that's come before me who's given me that motivation don't get me wrong there are like badminton players who have achieved so much in the able-bodied world but yeah it's it's hard to it's hard to imagine that for myself because it is quite Mm -hmm. different but I mean family family are always so motivating and inspiring for me that like there's such hard work and like my parents they've they've worked so hard and given up a lot for me to be able to be here today and like to ferried me up and down the country when I was a kid taking me to tournaments and training just so I can be here now so yeah they've they've been a huge inspiration to me and then like as I said there's there's not really anyone in Parabominton who's really inspired me but on the other side of that, being the first female athlete on the GB Parabominton program, I do hope to one day be an inspiration to them and be a role model and someone that they can look up to and say, yeah, at least I can I can do what Rich did. I'm pretty sure you already are an inspiration and a role model. I mean, you're <laughs> paving waves Thank all you. the way and that's that's just, it's incredible. I mean, 
I sometimes look at things and go, I can't do that. Like, I, I don't know how I'm going to do that because no one else has done it. Have you never got to that point where you've just gone, how am I going to do this? Like, no one else has done this. It seems impossible. And yet you've just got this list of things that you've achieved and you're like, yeah, yeah, first woman to do that. Yeah, no worries. It's all good. You must have had points where you've just gone, no, this, I just, I've got to stop. This is impossible. <laughs> the, the, yeah, there have been the odd occasion, but like, if I'm honest, sometimes I'm just like, okay, it's just a badminton tournament. I'm just here to play matches. Just want to win matches, win as many matches as I can, and we'll see where we end up. But, and yeah, that's pretty much the mindset that I've had for most of my badminton career anyway. Just trying to make the most of every opportunity I get. I'm a bit of a yes person and I'll just try and just get stuck in with everything. Will you be able to keep that mindset of it's just a badminton tournament when you're competing in front of I don't know how many people the Paris badminton court will hold, but I'm gonna presume it's it's a few. Yeah, I've I've heard that it's a good few thousand. <laughs> Being a power badminton player I'll be honest, we're not really used to having tons of spectators in the crowd. It's not something that we tend to have when we go away to tournaments, which is a shame. But I mean, it's also something that we've never had anyway. So it's it, like we don't really know what we're missing. Mm-hmm. We recently had a tournament in Sheffield and it was a, a big tournament in the sense that it was one of the more prestigious ones of the calendar. It's part of the qualification. And because we were hosting it, um, UK Sport, Bampton, England and the other home nations we were hosting it in Sheffield. It was really something special, the fact that we were able to get so much support in the stands, our family and friends, school kids on, on summer camps and, and all sorts. And it was the noisiest hall I think I've ever played in. And even then, that was probably only a couple hundred people. So <laughs> times that by a good few to fill out the stadium that we're going to be playing in in Paris would probably be pretty scary it was um even in Sheffield with all that noise it was quite unsettling (laughs) in the sense that yeah as I said I'm not used to it but yeah it's um hopefully something that becomes more comfortable as as we get closer to to Paris and we'll just see how I manage it yeah it's true I um I think before London 2012 we had 80,000 people at London 2012 my biggest crowd prior to that was, I think, 2,000 people. So it's a big jump. And I don't think people kind of put it together that para-athletes are not used to that level of noise. Got any strategies in place that, I don't know, are you talking to your coaches or something about how you may be going to deal with it? Because you know what? I remember my first start line, we'd been training with a CD player turned up of just like crowd noise. It sounds ridiculous, but it was just to get used to it's a distraction that's that's exactly what it is that's all it is it's something else to look at and listen to but some of my teammates lined up on the start line and just froze so yeah are you, are you gonna start thinking of any strategies because it it's different you know <laughs> while we we're in Sheffield the other week at this tournament the women is of perhaps trying to replicate noise um so similar to what you're saying like get some crowd noise going during one of my matches that week as well the coach said to me just to try and like block out all the noise and just pretend that we're playing in our training hall just try and do what I can to just close it all off yeah I think I think it's just strategies like that but then I've got my mates in my ear threatening to make embarrassing banners and signs (laughs) yeah who knows I'll I'll, I'll definitely have to block that out come parents really looking forward to seeing what they're going to embarrass you with (laughs) 
So for a long time now, you've been watching Paralympic sport from the outside. How have you seen the Paralympic movement grow and change and how has it affected you, not just in sport, but in everyday life? I'd say I noticed a real shift after, during, maybe even before London 2012. The way Paralympics GB hosted that event was incredible. And the way we were able to normalize para-athletes and people with disabilities was incredible. And I think through that, that's the biggest shift in what I've seen as people's perceptions of para-sport. And now Paralympic athletes and para-athletes are, are household names, which is really, really exciting and very special. And I think that is deserving of, of people's achievements and yeah, it's just so cool to see, as I said, it's been normalized and not even people who are para-athletes, but even just people with disabilities, that people are, I find they're more understanding of people with disabilities and they're more considerate. So I think the Paralympics has really helped with that and it's been a catalyst for it. So yeah, I think it's really exciting and I think it can only get better as well. Do you have any hopes that Paris can change anything else do you hope that Paris can I hope that Paris will be bigger than London 2012 I don't know if it will be but do you have any hopes for what Paris can do outside of your own career yeah like you I hope I hope that it can have as bigger if not bigger impact that London 2012 had on Paralympics to for this one yeah if I think people's openness to Paris sport now is at a crucial point where people can really just soak it in and be along for the ride with everyone and just take it all in their stride. And yeah, I think that's really exciting. I mean, we've already seen the massive massive shift in people's perception of women's sport. So if we can have that with para sport as well, that'll be incredible. If you have any message for anyone listening, who I don't know, has never really... Is it only just finding Paris sport, whether they want to take part or whether they just want to watch or whatever it is? Do you have any messages for them, hopefully to get them on a plane and come and watch us in Paris? <laughs> I think with Paralympics GB, you're going to see not only top Paris sport and para athletes, you're just going to see top sport. I mean, it, you almost don't need to stick it in a box of it being para. It's sport and it's incredible athletes doing incredible things. And let's have a really successful games because we're all ready for it we're all keen and raring to go so yeah let's just smash it what a mic drop there amazing (laughs) um thank you so so much for joining me and having a chat it's been really interesting actually to hear your insights from someone who yeah hasn't had the whole experience and has it on the horizon waiting for you in 12 months time i'm gonna keep saying that more to remind myself that we're that close that close (laughs) very best of luck with the rest of your preparations i'm gonna be watching for those signs at paris because i can't wait to see what they're gonna put up i bet you can't either (laughs) i'm hoping that like the airline just confiscates them or something security does something well i hope they drive (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much thank you for coming on thank you for sharing all your stories and the very best of luck appreciate it you too 
Rachel's had to wait a long, long time for this opportunity. And I can't wait to see her pull on that Paralympics GB vest next year and go for gold in Paris 2024. And I hope that everyone listening along will be supporting her too. For more information on Paralympics GB, head to paralympics.org.uk and follow us on the socials at Paralympics GB. Also, don't forget to hit subscribe or follow wherever it is that you are listening to this show as there'll be more shows, more guests and more stories from behind the scenes in Paralympic sports to come. Thanks for listening and see you next time. The Paralympics GB Podcast with Hannah Cockcroft.